Welcome to Behavioral Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Behavioral Grooves is the podcast that explores how we can positively apply behavioral science to improve our lives and our work. In each episode, we strive to educate and entertain. Wait, which strive is absolutely the optimal word in that last <laughs> sentence. True, <laughs> true. We we strive, not always sure that we make the grade. Yeah, okay. That's that's definitely the case for us. <laughs> okay. All right. With that being said, we strive to educate and entertain in each episode, usually through interviewing a top researcher in the field or a best-selling author or practitioner who applies behavioral science to their life or work work. But today, today we are going to do a grooving session where it's only you, Tim, and me, and we groove on a topic that we think our listeners will find interesting. Just just keep that word strive. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's harder to achieve when it's only us. <laughs> it, definitely uh, harder. We, we often rely on the genius of our guests, don't we? Oh, thank God for them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they make us look good. So there we go. So today we're going to strive, right? So we'll strive really hard to ensure that we make the grade because we are going to be talking about a process that is very familiar to us and that we've done with our clients countless times. It's a process that our listeners will hopefully find helpful. We are going to groove on how to conduct a behavioral diagnosis. Okay, so Kurt, what exactly is a behavioral diagnosis? Is this something scary, like a medical treatment or something? You know, for you, it's a medical treatment. You know, for the rest it's of intervention. the world, a behavioral diagnosis is a way of using behavioral science to help uncover the underlying drivers of behavior inside an organization. It is applying a behavioral lens to employee behavior. Yeah, you know, in our work, we have found that organizations often don't understand why their employees behave the way they do, you know, particularly when it comes to employees' responses to changes in the workplace. Leaders, like all of us, tend to think that other people will respond rationally to change and are often caught off guard by the reaction their people have to shifts in policies or incentives or changes in work routines. It's common to see leaders who get surprised that employees are resistant to changes, even when those changes are, on the whole, better for the employees. So true. And yet, if these leaders understood behavioral science better, they would not be as surprised. Yeah, very true. So most of our behavioral diagnostic work has been focused around understanding how changes in incentives will drive behavior. And that's what we're going to focus on for today. Really exploring how companies can identify employees' key motivational drivers and then use that information to help design more impactful incentive plans or reward programs. Okay, so where do you want to start? All right. So I think we need to start with this idea that first off, people are not always rational, at least not in the what? economic sense of a <laughs> rational actor. Good place to start. Right. It's, but, it's foundational. But oftentimes, as you mentioned earlier, leaders in companies act like employees should be rational actors. And particularly when, we, when you actually look at a program and you go, hey, this program uh, on a rational level is better for the employees. Right. That's when empl that's when I see leaders really going in with this this lack of saying, "Hey, but there's an emotional element because they go, "No, it's better for the employees. They're just going to love this." And that's not always the case. Yeah, we're we're not so good at being rational, but we are expert at rationalizing. <laughs> <laughs> rationalizing after the fact. After the fact, absolutely. That is that's right. So that's I think is another thing. Um, 
there's also this element of having this positive social appearance. So we answer questions in a way that we think the person in power wants to to hear. So yeah. so oftentimes I get this idea, but we've talked to our 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 people or we've done a survey. And <laughs> and they get these responses back and then they go from that. And I think that's a good first step. But we also have to understand that oftentimes those responses that people do and the surveys that responses that they get back are not really the underlying drivers and not no. really their underlying opinions. It's there, that yeah, there can say, be a lot of a lot of motivated reasoning in the in the way that those surveys get filled out. Right, and it's the say do gap, right? So <laughs> Scott exactly. Jeffries, we've talked with before, mm. has brought this up that what people say in a situation is very different than what they do in that situation. Yeah. So. So we have to get beyond that initial response. And a behavioral diagnostic or diagnosis is a way of doing that within a an organization, right? We get to go below the surface of those initial responses. Yeah, we need to go below the surface in order to really understand the, what the behavior is, how it's being driven. Right, right. Yeah. So for instance, we had, we had done some work with a company, a pharma company, yeah. uh, and their initial initial thought was that hey this is a element that is all about you know the incentive plan that is being put this new incentive plan that's being all put right. in in various different pieces because, because reps weren't hitting the goals the reps weren't hitting the goals and different things so when we talked with the leaders that's what they thought yeah. once we got into the interviews and the process that we're going to talk about what we really found out is yes that the incentive plan was part of it but there was really this other underlying component that was there was this perceived conflict between two of the senior leaders. Right. And that was something that wouldn't have come out in just a simple survey or various no. different things. It was because we were able to peel back some of the layers that were going on and really get at what was driving the angst that these um, these employees had. Well, let, let's talk about the process because I think that it, it's worth uh, noting for listeners how we, how we went through this uh, to kind of understand where the leaders were, where their heads were at the start and and how that evolved over over time based on, on what we did but let but, but let's start with you know getting the call to to help them out yeah so I mean well you know we always like getting calls <laughs> and right. different things that's you know it, it helps us uh, do the work that we do but I think the the process the process is uh, is obviously modified for each client a little bit but it, has it, to be. it it follows in a, in a similar fat fashion right so the first thing we have to do is we have to identify the key strategic objectives of whatever they're trying to do. So if they're putting in a new incentive plan, why are they trying to put that new incentive plan? If they're making a change to process, why are they putting that change in process? What is the strategy that is behind that? What is the yeah. the pieces that they're trying and to get And that comes at? from leadership. And that comes from leadership. And so our very first thing that we typically do is we will interview key stakeholders, which is typically leadership. Yep. Sometimes it goes down into that employee component, the, those people who have a stake in whatever is being built or designed. Right. Uh, but it is a one-on-one -on -one interview with a series of key stakeholders that, again, we are looking to have them specifically identify what those strategies that they're trying to achieve are, and then the big pieces translate that into specific employee behaviors. Right, and that's the hard part. Oh my that, gosh, that is hard. That's really difficult up front for leaders to say, okay, we've got this strategy, and we know what the what the business 
issue is, but it, it can be very difficult to articulate that in behavioral terms. It can be. So yeah. for instance, I was working with one company and uh, one of the key stakeholders I was working with was the VP of finance. When I talked with the VP of finance about the strategy and, and what those behaviors are, he kept coming up with numbers. It is all about, <laughs> right. we have to achieve these numbers or right. we have to achieve this. And, and so we had to really work with him to say, so what is it that is driving those numbers from his perspective? Now, granted, he was a VP of finance and he's a little bit removed from the day in and day out actions of the people that are out in the field and, and doing yes. those things. Yes. However, I think it's a really important exercise for everybody to really think through because you have to understand when you put a program in place, whether it be an incentive program, a total rewards program, whatever that is, ultimately what you're trying to do in these types of programs is change the behavior of the people on the ground, whether right. you're employees. And so we have to start with what is the current behavior and we have to be able to map out what the ideal or optimal or future behaviors are and, and where, the, where that gap is. We have to start to understand where that gap is. And we rely on leadership to help us to start that process. Yeah. So we have to, be, to start, as you said, I love that gap aspect, right? Because that's the key piece. Where are we currently and where do we need to be? Right. Now, what's interesting, and you talked about this many times, is that where we currently are from a leadership perspective isn't always where we are from a field or employee perspective. <laughs> because sometimes leaders are just like the rest of us. We, they misunderstand. They don't have a clear <laughs> idea of what's actually going on you know, uh, on the ground. Yeah. And that's an important place to start, though. But it's, it's an important place to start with leaders and their understanding of what the current behaviors are and uh, where they want things to be so that we can start to chart a course for this, this direction of where we want to be. Yeah, and again, I'll, I'll bring in an example of, of a client that we worked with. So it was a client, and we were working on revamping their entire total rewards programs, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, and and their strategy is what they had identified is that all of the other strategies outside of their incentives had moved to uh, focusing in on a we is greater than me kind of thing, a collaborative approach. And yet, when we looked at their incentive plans and their total rewards programs, the vast majority of those were designed on an individual level. And so what they were looking to drive from a behavior perspective is saying, hey, we want people to be working collaboratively together. And so that looks like sharing best practices, covering somebody else's territory when they're out of you know, the field, either sick or for whatever, or if they have a relationship with a client uh, who can then bring that, can they uh, you know, leverage that with another, another rep because they're now calling on that, that person. So it's that, that collaborative aspect. And so they were very clear in their definition of what those behaviors would look like right? and what they were currently doing, which was not that. Which is great because that helped lay out what that gap was going to be and, uh, and that al allows, um, allows the behavioral diagnosis then to really start to map where that, what that journey is going to be like to go from, from the old to the new. Right. And so then the next step that we did um, in, in most of these cases, and this can be 
sometimes before these stakeholder interviews, sometimes after, but it's really looking at current programs. So we research those, any current documentation on those, various different pieces to understand how they're designed. And how's it being communicated? And how's it being communicated? Uh, And so, for instance, in... You know, many situations that we see is that, hey, the current program might be designed right, but it's communicated in a really poor fashion. Which, or, yeah, which is also going to get to what do people actually understand about it? Which is in the, you know, one <laughs> of the next later, steps, yeah. right? right. Um, and then, so when we, we do that, we're also trying to understand what is the behavior that this program was designed to drive. And then what do we think from a behavioral science perspective it is currently driving? So we try right. to try to understand and make some hypothesis around what the uh, behavior that is being driven by an incentive plan and how it's communicated or by a education training program or whatever those, those various different things would be. So we create that hypothesis. And then we have to go and we have to get some actual field employee information to see, A, is the ideas that senior leadership has expressed and the current behaviors and the perceptions that the field have, are those real or are they not? So we do a process that involves typically going out and doing one-on-one field interviews, focus groups, sometimes surveys. Sometimes, but the most important part is in those interviews and those focus groups where people get to talk about uh, about what's going on. That's where you hear things like, well, I thought that they, they meant this. And uh, when, when reps say, well, I didn't understand that. Or, yeah. you know, th- these kinds of things are, are cues then to, okay, so may, so this is where, where the, some gaps lie. Uh, and we only get that in, through conversations. And it can be in focus groups or one-on-ones. Right. And we, when we design the questions to really peel back the layers. And it comes in the probe. So as you said, when people say certain things, that's a cue for us to dig deeper. Right. And so you're looking at those areas where there's uh, some confusion, some pause, some difference between what we thought in our hypothesis and what we are hearing out in the field. Another great way that we don't get to do as often as I would like, but is actual observation and going out and doing an anthropological component to say, let's actually see what these people are doing day in and day out in their job. Uh, When we can do that, we get some really deep insights, particularly... Yeah, context matters. Context matters. Yeah, right? yeah, and and we, we, I, we, I know that we worked on a project where you know there were uh, reps, just United States reps, but working in very very different territories. You know, and and one of you know one of the reps talked about, well, you know, I get up every morning and I just go to this one hospital and that's my whole day. Yeah, that that's one hundred percent of everything. And and another rep said, well, I I have a territory that I have to drive two and a half hours. You know, to get from my home to the farthest, you know, farthest doctor. And it's like, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, they're in the car most of the time. Yeah. Rather than just going from office to office to office. So two entirely different experiences uh, for them. And and one of the best ways to understand that is to actually have feet on the ground. Yeah. You know, be with them. Be with them. So when we design those feedback uh, components, either interviews, focus groups, observations, surveys. What we're trying to do is really get people to open up and to shed some things. But we know human dynamics, human behavior, is that we're not very good at necessarily understanding our own emotions, right? right. And and our own our own drivers of behavior. <laughs> no. And so oftentimes we have to 
again, peel back some of those layers and do that. And one of the ways we try to do that sometimes is to have people explain how others work and what is driving others. Mm-hmm. Um, people are much better at explaining somebody else's motivations or their perceived idea of what other people are <laughs> exactly. motivating. Exactly. It's the perception of what someone else's motivation is. Right. But oftentimes that's a, you know, we're it's, projecting on others what, what's doing it for us and when we can't do that. So it's, you know, so for instance, again, uh, I've had clients or I've had people where we've asked people to tell a story of the worst rep and the best rep in their experience that they've seen. So what does the worst rep do? What is it that you've actually seen? Tell me specifically what they have done and tell me specifically what the best rep that you've ever worked with. What do they do? What are the specific things that they are doing? And then you get at why are they doing that in various different pieces Uh, or describe a specific time in the day, right? All right, so it's right after lunch. What are you doing? It's Tuesday right after lunch. Tell me what you did. Right. If we don't get to go out and do those observations, have the conversation about it, have the conversations. Yeah. yeah. And then we develop those probes to spur greater reflection to say, all right, so you've said this, but now help me understand that a little bit more. You know, explain that a little bit more in, in detail, yeah. different pieces like that. And these are where we start to reveal where the leadership blind spots might exist. Right. This is where we start to understand, oh, this, it, the leaders are thinking A, but we're actually witnessing B, and we're seeing something totally different. And this is an important part of the process, a really critical part of the process for coming up with what are we going to do. With, with actually coming up with uh, doing the analysis and then coming up with recommendations. Yeah, those blind spots are really key to making recommendations that are going to actually drive the behaviors and achieve the strategies that senior leadership want. Yeah. Right. You know, another just uh, some of the other methods that we sometimes use a little non-traditional ways, non-standard methods of getting at people is having them drop draw things, uh, have them, you know, identify pictures from magazines of what it feels like. And you have all these different pieces doing descriptive words, free association. So we try again to get people out of that mode of answering and answering a question the way they think they should be answering it or that right. people want to hear. Right. All right. So that's that's the, the main gist of it. And then we have a whole bunch of information. And that information then needs to be analyzed. Yes. So we're looking for correlations. We're looking to find patterns. We're trying to identify outliers to see if they contain valuable information. We're trying to look at the context within all all of these are are doing. So we take the information, we categorize it, we put it into what we uh, call a behavioral map. We develop out a behavioral map that says, here are all of the the impacts that these people have on their behaviors, whether it be your incentive plan, but then their manager, then the environment that they're in, potentially some of the training programs they get or don't get, how things are communicated. And so you get this picture, this map of all of the influences in on their behavior. And it would be really nice to say, oh, we've got this fancy AI solution that just goes out and just does it. But the the variables are way too complex and the way that each of these things get weighted. And we only discover them as we're going through the process. So 
it actually has to be done by us. It has to be done by sitting down and, and having uh, some experience behind us and having critical eyes and ears as to what are those patterns? What are the, are the places where we're, we're seeing the connections and the influences? Uh, and those have to be built manually mm -hmm. uh, because that's the best science that we have right now. And it's the most effective. And it's the most effective. And, and what's interesting is we build the map, right? And that's our initial take. And then what yeah. we will do is take that initial thing back to some of the key stakeholders and potentially back out into the field to test it, to say, <laughs> right, is this, right. did we get this right? Did right. we do this? And so oftentimes that visualization of things, people go, oh yes, but then you, but we didn't talk yes, about this. Yes. Or, which is one of my favorite parts. Yes. Or we didn't, you know, oh, that's, that's very different than what I thought. And yeah. then you have to go in and, and understand where that, that blind spot or where that gap well, is. And to think that some, so oftentimes those reveal things that never got talked about. You put the map in front of them and they're like, oh, but wait a minute, what about this? And it's like, no one ever said a word about that. <laughs> like how, did, how in the world did that get missed? But it does. You know, yeah. the, 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 there are, are things that people just, just forget about, don't talk about, with, even with all the probing and the, um, and the expert questioning. Yeah, and so ultimately what what that that gets at is this uh, robust understanding, uh, at least to the degree that we can, to identify the drivers of how the different elements inside of an organization are impacting a person's motivation. In this case, that would be you know, what we're looking at. So we're trying to go and say, all right, so in general, here are the three big things, here are the five tangential things, and here are these other aspects that, depending upon different contexts, may be more relevant and not relevant. All of that analysis then comes into saying, okay, so you're asking us to, to think about an incentive plan, or you're in asking us to think about a rewards program, or whatever that would be. And here are ways, uh, again, that you can design this, the framework around which mm -hmm. this is structured. And communicated. And communicated. That's a really good part. To to drive home the strategy that you outlined at the very beginning. So to get the, to achieve those behaviors uh, and the attitudes and perceptions in the field that are going to drive those behaviors, we should be doing these things. Sometimes, actually not sometimes, most of the time, yeah. it is not only just that incentive plan that we're driving. Oh, exactly. Uh, and, and we will come up with, with insights around your manager training. You know, understanding what managers' roles are, understanding how that communication of the uh, roles and important aspects of whatever the plan are are being done, uh, the systems that are in place, the relationships that people have, the culture that an organization is in, all of yeah. those HR factors. policies, uh, you, you know, marketing processes. There's all kinds of things that can get revealed by just digging deep on this one issue. Right, and it's it's taking that behavioral science lens. Now, when we when we make those recommendations, we often would love to be able to do testing on them because, again, as we optimally. know, optimally, but we are at the very least having them be informed through this process that we are going to be much more on target with yeah. whatever our recommendations are than if we were to just go in and assume 
again, employees are rational actors. <laughs> yes, this is a better program right. for them, and so they're just going to accept it as is. And that, as we know, isn't always the case. Yeah, managers need to be willing, leaders especially, need to be willing to leave their rationality at the door. They, they need to park that outside and be willing to enter into a space where we go, okay, I as a human being and all the other human beings that work here are going to have irrational aspects of their behavior. And and how and, and we have to be willing to explore that and be open to that, I think, at a very fundamental level. And I think organizations can do some of this stuff on their own. Right? Oh, I mean, they can definitely do a, a very similar process. I do say that there is some value in many instances of bringing in an outside firm because you get different responses. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be you and me, Tim. It can be it can be others. There are other groups out there that do, you know, good work. Yeah, but you and me. <laughs> I, I think I think that we could we could kill it. You're right. And and one of the other benefits of this. So you get this benefit of having this really good understanding of what's driving these people. But there's a there's a corollary to this, which is because you have gone out and you've worked and asked these people, particularly field managers often, and even the employees themselves or the sales reps themselves, they get a, there's an aspect that they're feeling appreciated, particularly when changes are made based on some of the information that you have and how you give that feedback back to them is really important that we made these changes because of what we heard from you. Yeah. Um, and those are really important. What, what that does is it gets this buy-in to yeah, whatever it, it's this It's totally program. empowering at that point to to feel like, oh, my voice is actually being heard. What I had to say was meaningful. And now I'm part of the, uh, part of the solution rather than just standing on the outside. Mm-hmm. That makes a big difference to, uh, to people in the organization. All right. So. Okay. Uh, let's, let's wrap up. Kurt, you want to quickly do a, a recap here? Yeah. So. You know, life in corporate world can get hectic. Leaders are busy people and can sometimes miss the mark when predicting how their employees are going to respond to changes, any to any of kind of thing that we're doing. Yeah. And then what happens next is that things get out of whack, right? They just don't <laughs> yeah. work the way we think they're going to work. And yep. it's just uh, craziness, you know, not always. And sometimes no. it doesn't actually, sometimes things go seem like they're going really well, but what's actually happening is is yeah, you've done some improvements, but you miss the opportunity to improve even greater right. and to, to really drive that to the next level. So that's one of the things. Yeah. So uh, our behavioral diagnostic reveals the underlying motivations for employees' behaviors. Yeah. It creates this map, right, that allows you to visually kind of identify what are those key aspects that are driving an employee to do what they're doing, mm-hmm. which is... Very helpful for senior leadership, particularly um, when they're designing new programs or trying to drive a change inside of an organization. Yeah. But it's also just really important for them so that they don't have those blind spots that you talked about. Right. It's, it's a way of, of getting past our, our, our own blind spots that we simply can't see. Yeah. And yeah. so having shedding that light on that and having that... Uh, perspective can be very beneficial, not just in the recommendations of what you can do on this particular incentive program, this particular rewards program, this particular benefits aspect or training aspect. It really comes down to this is a 
great perspective to say, here's how our people are thinking and driving, and so here are the things that I need to be aware of when I'm moving forward with that. So yeah. it's really understanding the why we do what we do thing. <laughs> yeah, um, it really is kind of that simple, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, our I would also say that our diagnostic, you know, uh, Will not only make things happen more effectively, but you know can improve morale. Yeah, you can have tremendous benefits in your ROI because happy employees are simply more productive employees. Well, again, they're feeling like they're heard, and yeah. anybody we all know at a basic gut level, we all like to be appreciated. We all like to have yeah. our voices heard. So, you know, I think that is a good wrap up. What do you say? I'd say, I'd say so. Yeah. All right. Yeah, definitely. So listeners, hopefully you got something out of this. Hopefully you can take it away and and think about it and, and find a use for some of the information that we talked about. Definitely. And thank you for listening in on a grooving session. And, you know, it's just Tim and me grooving on things that we know and think about, and we love doing these, and I hope that you, you love them as well. And we appreciate your support and urge you to jump down to the bottom of whatever app you're listening on and give us a rating and a review. And if you're shy or you don't want to boast or brag about how your life is better because of behavioral grooves, <laughs> just give us a rating or, and or send us a note. Uh, you can reach Tim at T. Houlihan on Twitter, and I'm at, at What Motivates at Twitter. So reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you. Thank yeah. you for listening. Yeah, thanks. And keep on grooving.